Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a Galactic Football League novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. Can you believe we are now two months into 2022? Golly, how time flies. That's right. I use the word golly unironically. I had projected GFL Book 7 to be 167,500 words. That's after multiple increases to that amount. I was pretty sure I had it figured out. At this point, as of today's writing, I am at 171,500 and rolling. It looks like we've got another girth-tastic tale on our hands. Now, I am almost done, but not quite finished. A few things I need to work on before I can pass it off to empty set continuity czar Big John Vizcara. And it's a little hard to work right now because these are crazy times. A hostile invasion in Europe is not something I thought I'd see again in my lifetime. And there are many distractions in the world that pull on my work and I'm sure pull against your work as well. As always, we hope our work here at Empty Set provides a sliver of escapism from the world's troubles, and from your personal troubles. Speaking of escapism, I got to take a trip to Florida to see my parents for the first time in two years. It was great. Coach and Ma are doing very well. We have had some junkies in our community lose family members over the past couple of weeks. And the older I get, the more I see the tragedy of leaving things unsaid. So here is a friendly reminder to let your loved ones know that they are loved by you. And if no one has told you that you're loved today, well, a real girl herself and I will love your whole damn face. So there you go. You've got it. Let's get caught up on the story. Then we're going to get out our seats and jump around. Diana Zara was under attack by the Ponsky sisters. Killian, Redwire, Aya, and Zan Schmeck are caught on board. With the arrow tethered to the Ulrin, both ships plummet towards the acid oceans of Rurgirk. Chapter 18, The Plunge Killian bit back a groan as centrifugal force slid him into a holotank. Snapping it off at the base, the fluid it contained splashing across the garbage-strewn floor. Half-soaked, he sat up just as V-Den pressed a tentacle tip against his chest. Take it, she said. I have to get the backup power online. He reached to his chest. She pressed something into his palm and then shot out of the cabin, her wings rippling double-time. If she didn't get power online, there was no way Diana's arrow would survive. And if it was going down... The Oleron would go down with it, because Beans would not decouple without the rest of the crew. Killian looked at what was in his hand, the little device she'd used to collect Redwire's DNA. My Schmeck's leg is damaged, Zan said. I have been shot in the hip joint and midsection. That calm voice of hers, always so damn calm. My leg. It wasn't hers, it was the Schmeck's. 
Moving the device into his pocket, Killian fought against the ship's violent spin and stood. I and Redwire, both down and coughing, but moving, didn't look hurt. Zanschmeck, prone on the deck, its left hip torn to shreds, a ragged hole through the mechanical midsection. Only a few wires and shreds of metal kept her from being two separate pieces. His lungs burned. The arrow had automatically sealed the bullet holes against the poisonous atmosphere before there was any serious lung damage, but he, Aya, and Redwire would have sore throats and a cough as their body cleared out damaged tissue. If that was the worst they suffered, Killian would give a prayer of thanks to High One. Back out the way we came, he shouted. Use the bulkheads to brace yourself. He followed his own advice. One hand on the cabin wall, he moved to the entry hatch. He could see in the dark, as could Zan. Aya and Redwire didn't have that ability. Killian then did something he rarely did. He focused his thoughts, activated his subdermal scramblers. Lines in his face lit up red, casting a dim illumination onto the floor and the bulkhead beside him. Follow me, he said. We have to move, fast! As he moved to the cabin door, he flashed glances, saw that Red was already up. Aya hadn't bothered to stand. She was crawling on hands and knees, one shoulder on the cabin wall to brace herself. The girl was tough. Killian exited the cabin, scrambling through the tilting corridors of Diana's arrow. Trash and debris slid against the walls, colliding with the preposterously placed computer terminals and other gear. He heard his crew panting and scrambling behind him. They were in a death spiral, and they didn't have long. Corridor lights flared back to life, half the strength they'd been before. The ship lurched. It felt like being in an elevator that had unexpectedly ground to a halt. Killian adjusted, then realized that while Diana's arrow had slowed, it had not stopped. They were still going down, down to a certain death. Lulz bought us time, he said. Don't waste it. Another explosion somewhere in the yacht, another knee-rattling shudder rippled through the hull. He fell face-first into the sliding trash, heard the metal gong of Zan Schmeck hitting the floor. Zan, abandon Schmeck, he said. I need all your attention in the Oleron. It was a hard order to give, but it was a necessary one. She loved that Schmeck. If they survived this, Beans could make her another. I will have to control Nav from my quarters, Zan said, her voice in his comm bud. Status update, upcoming. To her credit, she didn't even ask Killian or Red to bring her schmeck with them. She knew the stakes. Killian pulled himself up, absently wiped blood from a fresh cut on his cheek, continued down the corridor, the red glow from his face a beacon for the others. The docking hatch was just ahead. Diana's arrow started to vibrate in a way that did not bode well. He reached the hatch, opened it. Light from the Oleron poured in. He shut off his subdermals, happy to be free of that reminder of his more violent moments. He looked for an intercom button, saw that the comms panel at the hatch had been removed, replaced with something that looked like an ancient sextant combined with a data cube player. No intercom. Instead, he cupped his hands to his mouth, screamed as loud as he could, and hoped she could hear him. Lulz! We are leaving! Aya crawled past him and through the docking hatch. Killian waited a moment, hoping to hear Viden respond. 
if not in person, at least from some unseen bit of speakerphone. Redwire ran past, slapping Killian on the shoulder as he did. An age-old silent signal from the Stone Wolves' days. The slap meant Killian was the last one left. Lulz, answer me! She did not. Killian could wait no more. He dashed through the hatch and into the Ulrin. It, too, was spinning, but there was no trash, and he knew the ship as well as he knew his own face. He headed for the bridge. Zan, Beans, talk to me. Zan answered first, her voice rapid but as calm and measured as it always was. High one, but did he love having her as his XO? Three ships in firing range, she said. I am returning fire as best I can. The ships targeted both us and the Arrow. The Arrow took a direct hit to the impulse engines and the power plant. That ship will not survive without our assistance. We lost one of our two altitude thrusters. If we remain tethered to the Arrow, we will hit the ocean surface in less than three minutes. Killian's heart sank into his stomach. If he didn't decouple, the Oleron and Arrow were both doomed. But if he decoupled, another Stone Wolf would die. Zan, continuously signal to the Arrow that Lulz needs to get over here, Killian said as he reached the lift. Beans, whatever you need to do, give us more time. In the combud, Killian heard Beans let loose a string of Sklorno curse words. The little guy was already working away. Killian gripped the handrails that ran up the sides of the lift, using what tiny shred of religious faith he still had left to pray that his fat-bottomed girl would hold together. At the top level, he rushed toward the bridge. He heard the whine of several alarms and klaxons coming out of the room, echoing down the corridor. The Oleron's lurching spin brought back unwelcome memories of battles endured while on the keeling. He shoved those unwanted thoughts back into their dark hole as he stumbled onto the bridge and toward his chair. He stopped, cold. Redwire was in the chair, the man's hands extended, surrounded by glowing control icons. Red, get your ass out of my- there's a gunner station up here, man it! Redwire said, his voice ringing with an undeniable tone of command. I'm getting us out of here! It was an idiotic decision. The man barely knew the Oleron and had never flown it. And yet, Killian found himself moving toward Zan's empty nav station. Red was the best pilot he'd ever known. Even without personal experience flying the ship, maybe that was the best choice. In short, it was a 50-50 toss-up, decided by nothing more than the fact that Red had got there first and was already in the chair. A glance at Aya, strapped in at her station, palms sliding across the comm skins. Zan, stuck in her hold, both of her schmecks gone. Beans, somewhere in the Oleron, doing the things that only Beans could do. Killian sat down in the rarely used nav station chair. It was too small for him. He strapped himself in anyway. He ignored the nav gear. Zan was managing those duties from her hold and instead called up the primary targeting interface. I've got weapons control, he said. Killian tapped the glowing icon to turn off the automatic firing. Fire at will, Redwire said. Keep them off us, killer. I'm trying to counter our spin. Killian's eyes took in the weapons display. Three unidentified bogeys out there, moving fast, far enough away that they were only blips. He glanced at Redwire in the captain's chair, 
and beyond him, the bridge's crystal window. Outside, the tsunami and volcanic islands whipped from left to right, as if they were spinning in circles and not the Oleron. He had brought his crew to a hell planet. And, like clockwork, things had gotten even worse. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. He heard Aya calling out to Vidin telling her to get aboard the Oleron ASAP, but heard no response from the hurrah. Killian focused on his display. Flashing lightning joined with beyond-hurricane winds in shifting pockets of air density, messing with the sensors. Why couldn't the system get a lock on the bogies? Were they Kurgurk fighters? Did Kurgurk even have fighters? Zan, Redwire said. Can you hear me? Zan's voice came over the bridge's speaker film. Yes, I can. Are you in the captain's chair? I am, Redwire said. Cut the tether to the arrow and seal us up! Killian felt the rage inside him surge against the Nazdor block. Belay that order, Zan, he said. Do not disengage from the arrow. Redwire spun the captain's chair, faced Killian. We're dead in 30 seconds if we don't, Red said. Killian couldn't believe his ears. But Lowe's is still aboard! Red wire pointed behind him, toward the rain-splattered windshield. Splashdown in 25 seconds, he said. Entire planets are at stake. We can't die to save one sentient. Zan, decouple now! The Oleron jerked, hard, and for a moment, Killian thought they'd hit something. Beans's voice blared from the speaker film. Second thruster back online. That gives us more time before we take a bath, but not much. Redwire spun his chair, again faced toward the windshield and the liquid death that lie beyond it. Now so close, Killian could make out the frothy tops of the massive waves below. A storm of religious proportions down there, hungry for a new victim. Off to the north, a tornado must have touched down. A wide, swirling spout of furious liquid rose. Killian saw that it wasn't the only one. Lightning kissed one of the swirls, for a moment making the entire water spout glow like the wrath of a god. We're being hailed, Aya said, by one of the ships that attacked us. Killian's eyes flicked to the weapons display. 
The system still hadn't identified the bogeys, and he suddenly knew why. Just because you can detect a smuggler's ship once doesn't mean you can do it a second time. He knew who it was. He knew why the bogeys hadn't shot to kill. Put them through, he said. Voice only. The speaker film crackled with a static-laden voice. This is Harmony Ponsky. Transmit coordinates to the borehole, and we will cease targeting your thrusters. For a moment, Killian's anger overpowered the Nazdor. He was going to kill Harmony Ponsky. All the Ponskys. Then go back to the borehole and make sure Melody paid the final price. And just like that, the moment passed. Redwire again turned in his chair, made eye contact with Killian. All the decades spent apart vanished. The two men knew how to communicate to each other, how to convey the bare necessities of information required for survival. Red tapped his wrist, extended five fingers, then three, then pointed to the deck, and finally drew a fast finger across his throat. Fifty-three seconds until he cut the connection to the arrow. A silent but highly accurate clock started in Killian's head. Redwire then pressed a button on the captain's chair armrest, leaned in close to it, and said something Killian didn't hear. Red was talking to Zan. Fifty-two seconds. The man wasn't leaving the decision up to Killian. Fifty-one. Hello, Harmony, Killian said, loud enough for the bridge's mics to pick it up. Your sister is in the borehole, right? You're losing altitude, Oleron, came her fast answer. The data cube on the punch beacon was slick, but no more tricks. You don't have time for them. 48. Killian felt himself calm. He had to trust Red to pilot, Beans to fix what needed to be fixed, Zan to analyze how to get the Ulleran out of there, and Aya to do what she could to reach Vedan. 46. For once, Killian would do all the talking. How did you find us, Harmony? An old friend sends his regards, Harmony said. He said, you know him from Laramie 3. Thorn. 42. Beans in the combud. Skipper, I'm on the arrow. I need 20 seconds and I can get us out of here. The rage monster inside Killian tried to stir, but Killian had control of it now and would not let it out. A second clock started in his head. 39 and also 18. Beans had disobeyed orders and crossed back over the tether? Nothing Killian could do about that now. Nothing but listen to his crew and help them out of this jam. That's no friend of mine, Harmony, Killian said. You came yourself. I admit, I'm impressed. 36 and also 15. I wanted to make sure the job got done right this time, Harmony said. You're quite the chatty patty for someone who's about to smash into an ocean of acid. Let me give you some more motivation. A part of Killian's awareness focused on the weapon system. He knew at least one of the ships was coming in for an attack run. He could hear it in the woman's voice. He could also hear the worry, the fear. If she didn't get the location before the Oleron crashed, her sister would rot in prison forever. 33 and also 12. We'll give you the location, Killian said. We're out of control. We need help. He wasn't much of an actor, but he didn't need to be. 
They were out of control. They did need help. 29 and also 8. He saw the flash of movement on the weapons monitor, had a moment to respect the deft move of a ship sticking to a downward spiral of a cloud to buy a few split seconds of visual cover before coming right out of it and launching a missile. Killian returned fire, his fingers working like the fingers of his younger days, firing a burst from the top-mounted twin 30mm anti-aircraft battery. He felt the Oleran shudder from the missile's impact, heard the explosive report of the detonation. His eyes took in his readout. Had he got the bastard? He didn't know. A red X appeared on his display. 25 and also 4. Top guns destroyed, he said, loudly, and in a panicked voice for Harmony's benefit. Well, actually, that wasn't acting either. 23 and 2. Whatever Beans had planned, his time was up. Aya, Goldman said. Cut them off. Killian heard Harmony utter the first bit of a single syllable, but that was it. Beans, Redwire said. Talk to me. The Sklorno's voice came back instantly. Power merged across both sh sh ships. All engine controls tethered. Hit it. Redwire tilted both outstretched hands to the right. In the same instant, Killian felt the Oleran bank in that direction, felt the ship accelerate, then level out. The mad descent had stopped. The ship rattled and bucked, buffeted by the nightmare storm outside. Killer, Redwire said. Let him have it. Killian's eyes locked onto the readout. All three bogeys are above us, he said. I wasn't lying. Our top guns are gone. Firing rockets, but I think they're jamming them. I'm on it, Aya said. Top gun's gone, Roger, Redwire said. What else do we have? Same array on the bottom of the holds. 360 mount. That allowed Killian to shoot to the rear, but only at ships below the plane of the Oleran centerline. Something the three bogeys seemed to know. They're trailing, but still from above, Killian said. And they're closing in. Red surprise move had given the Oleran arrow a head start, but two ships joined together couldn't possibly hope to outrun the Ponsky's light haulers. I've got their scanner frequencies, Aya said. Do you want me to jam them? Killian started to say yes, but before he could, Redwire spoke first. No, they have line of sight in the faster than us, he said. Jam on my command. Killer, get ready to fire when a target presents itself. I'm going to change the game. Everyone, hold on. The man banked his hands to the left and tipped them down. The Oleran went into a steep dive. Red, what the hell are you doing? This is a cargo ship for high one's sake. You can't maneuver like this. Not here. As if an answer, Killian saw a large holo appear in front of the captain's chair. The Oleran, big and bulky, tethered to the longer, heavily modified arrow, which was trailing wind-whipped smoke from two places along its fuselage. Killian looked past the holo to the windshield and to a swirling, kilometers-high pillar of sulfuric acid beyond it. Beans, Redwire said. Can the Oleran survive a dip in this ocean? A brief one, Beans responded instantly, his voice overly amplified by the speaker film. 30 seconds at most without requiring extensive repairs. If we're under for more than two minutes, we aren't coming out. A dip in the ocean? What was... 
Oh, no. Killian's testicles tried to crawl into his belly when he saw what Redwire had planned. Red, don't you even- Hold on! Red shouted, just as he piloted the Oleran arrow straight into the massive hurricane-spun acid spout. The hurricane had been damaging enough. This was on another level. Everything shook. Gear rattled. Pictures fell off the walls. Nuts or bolts or other loose bits bounced around the bridge. Even strapped into his seat, Killian gripped the sides of the weapons console, so hard he felt the metal bending beneath his hands. And then, even through the fist of God shaking, he felt something else. The Oleran arrow was rolling over. I a jam! Now, now, now! Redwire said. Kill her! Do your thing! Everything went silent. Everything slowed. Killian found himself chilled by the endless expanse of the void. He'd been here before, more times than he could count. The dead sense. He knew he was in a ship, knew there were others with him on the bridge, but also that none of these things existed, that he was a part of the blackness of space, the hands and fingers of the void itself. Killian could see from the ship and also see from outside the ship, see the trail of mist and sulfuric acid as the Oleran ripped out of the massive spout. The violent world was upside down. The roiling sky at the bottom of the windshield's view, the turbulent, hungry ocean at the top. Redwire had flipped the ship. Killian used the weapon's display and also did not use it. The sky filled with glowing lines, telling him where those to be killed would be. One line pointed high above. He fired six rockets at it, finger twitches tapping off each round. Even before he launched, he knew which way the target ship would fly because the glowing lines showed him. The line, the ship, and the rockets that followed it plunged back into the impossibly wide cyclone of acid. Would the rockets find their mark? He did not think so. The wind was too strong, and the rockets were not made to fly through such things. But it did not matter, because the dead sense told him another target would present itself. Killian was already firing the bottom, which were now the top, anti-aircraft battery before the second target shot out of the whirling column. His first salvo was wide right. The dead sense was slightly off, which happens sometimes, maybe due to too many computational variables. He'd never been able to figure that out, but he corrected almost instantly and did so far faster than the struggling bogey pilot could correct his ship's path. A dozen 30-millimeter tungsten rounds tore into the nose of the oncoming ship. Killian now saw it was a modified light hauler, the same kind he'd faced at the Gans Prime Station and at the spaceport. Although that hadn't really been him then, that had been the other, the one who shared the same body, but hid from who he really was, that cowered in the booze and the pills, who stayed in a tiny cabin and tried to pretend that life wasn't about killing. The hauler's front flashed with fire once, the flames instantly whipped clean by the high winds, then it exploded a flashbang that scattered a puff of shrapnel. 
Just as the hauler began to plummet toward the ocean, the Oleron arrow angled upward. Killian searched the existence around him for more threats, for more lines. He sensed neither. Another enemy slain. Sight and sound and fear rushed back at him so fast and so hard that he cried out in surprise, overwhelmed by the return to the real world. The cold void did not like letting him go, and it made him pay. Ming status! Redwire in Killian's chair. The man looked older than Killian remembered. The Oleron, accelerating, leaving the planet's atmosphere. It won't last more than 30 or 40 seconds, Aya said, but I'm positive they lost us for now. Killian saw Redwire push a button on the captain's chair. Beans, Red said. We need to jump both ships simultaneously. Can you do it? Killian heard someone speaking, but couldn't lock in what was said. A high-pitched voice. He knew he should know who that was, but he couldn't place it. Excellent, Redwire said. Zan, is our course locked in? Killian heard another voice. In his head, this time, a voice he recognized. A voice he trusted. Skipper, it is me. I am here. You are safe. Safe? He didn't feel safe. What had just happened? I... I killed again, he said in a whisper. Didn't I? He wasn't asking. He wasn't sure what had happened, but he knew what it felt like after he took a life. You had to, Zan said. It was us or them. Was that an excuse? Maybe, yes. If Zan said it was, then it was true. Because Zan did not lie to him. Ever. Killian heard Redwire say something, wasn't sure what the words were. Whatever Redwire was saying, someone cut him off. Someone speaking loud over the bridge speaker film. The bridge. He was on the Oleron. His ship. Skipper, Zan said, the voice only in his head again, soft and calm and steady. Redwire wants us to punch to MT-734. Do you approve of that order? MT-734? That was a planet, wasn't it? He heard Aya's voice, distant, but also close. My block won't last much longer. If we're going to do this, we need to do it now. Skipper, Zan said, I'm going to approve the punch. Do you understand? Killian nodded. Yeah, he said. I understand. He did not understand. Lock it in, Redwire said. Beans, do it. The bridge and everyone on it started to shimmer. Killian felt his gorge rising, couldn't stop himself from throwing up. He sat down where he was, felt something wet beneath him, and faded into sleep. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler. Engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.